Facebook for a second, every once in a while, somebody posts something really profound. I mean, there's say a lot of things on Facebook. There's a lot of things that's just not even worth reading, but I brought a couple to share with you today. And the first one, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the message, but it's good. So I wanted to bring it to you anyway. This one's by a, a former college-age student of mine. Um, he's now married, and he quotes his son saying this, We've always limited the boys' TV and video game time in an effort to prevent them from being too attached. Lately, Elijah has become overly enamored with the iPod Touch. As a result, we've talked to him and put further limits on his time. He just told me, Dad, I'm not addicted to the iPod Touch. I just love it, and it's my favorite thing, and I want to play it all day long. <laughs> it's good to know that I'm getting through. Look over to the person next to you and say, I'm glad that's not my kid. Yeah. This second quote comes from a, another dear college, former college-age student who's, who's also married now, and she's, she's uh, singing a lullaby to her newborn, uh, to her newborn. and uh, she quotes, it's funny when you're singing hymns to your infant and you realize this song is really for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How true and personally convicting is that statement. It's such a simple song. Yet it parallels the topic of my message this morning, the truth the prophet Isaiah inspired to the Israelites uh, so many years ago. Put your hope in the Lord. So my prayer is that God will bless you this morning with his presence and this message that I've entitled, Hope on the Lord, when trying harder just won't do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking for uh, a touch from you. I pray that you'd open up the hearts of those that are here uh, to be able to hear the message that you've desired to send. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapters 40, beginning with verse 28. I'm going to read a little bit of that verse, but my emphasis today will be the text of verses 30 and 31, beginning with verse uh, 28 in the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know and have you not heard the Lord is an everlasting God and the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Just a short context background on that book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is recognized as the author of that book. And these words come at a time when, when there's two kings, Kings Uzziah and Hezekiah, and they did have an, an honest to goodness intent to serve God, but the days were again labeled dark in crisis because the Assyrians moved to capture the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. So the prophet Isaiah, he's called to a nation oppressed and in despair. And by the time Isaiah delivers this hopeful message, he's already given a pretty, some pretty firm words, not only to the Israelites, but to the surrounding nations. I hope it's clear that these were difficult times for the Israelites. There were not many options for them. The prophet of that day carried a distinctive, non-compromising duty 
or role. The voice of the prophet gained strength during this time of Israel's captivity, seeing as both the priest and the king were losing credibility, and they were no longer worthy channels through whom the expressions of God might flow. The prophets qualified for the office of prophet. They would speak of things taking place in the immediate and in the future. The Mosaic Code for which the the prophets were responsible for to be upheld can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, and chapter 18, verse 22. A prophet presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. Now that's a lot of pressure for the prophet. What a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true. That is the message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not, presumptuously, do not be afraid of him. Let's imagine for a moment the weight of bondage that existed among the repressed people. They're under captivity. And I challenge you to understand that the prophet of that day, he could not be a wimpy yes man. He was a man that had to be held to a high standard of accountability. He had to resound with courage. He he was a man who had to call out sin. He had to warn nations. He had to convince the proud to humble themselves and once again turn to the Lord. So Isaiah, he's a credible prophet. He's a prophet who's not allowed to lie. He's not allowed to take guesses. He's not allowed to be wrong. And understand here, that kind of prophet, that kind of man, bringing this type of message of hope to the Israelites. It had to have some truth to it and some meaning to it. They were not pie-in-the-sky promises. At least to the Israelites, they weren't. I ask you to consider today that these words can serve as inspiration to us today as well in those times when we catch ourselves in times of struggle. Isaiah lists first and foremost, put your hope in the Lord. Some translations use the words, magnify the Lord, and yet others say, wait on the Lord. So my first point today from that verse is simply wait. Number one, wait. It's so important that we wait on the Lord. We as believers need to practice that every day. And I think the Apostle Paul, he really understood what would happen to us if we did not rely and choose first the Lord when we're seeking our ways out of situations. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. Vain philosophies and lies, they vie for our attention. And I think the enemy knows that if we can find solutions void of the power of God, void of connection with Him, the enemy knows then that we will turn to ourselves and our own willpower. We'll become our own doctors. We'll begin to evaluate ourselves. We'll begin dissecting presumptuous symptoms of ourselves until we finally prescribe to this one thing. Expect more of yourself. Try harder. I believe that we waste seasons 
trying harder. Wait on the Lord. That's our starting point. And that's no secret. There's a common philosophy that I prescribed to for a really long time. And it was, if you want to fix things, you have to try harder. Well, the truth is, often trying harder just won't do. Most of my philosophies, my vain philosophies, truth be told, involved around sports. I was a believer for most of my life, but I didn't quite grasp the truth of scriptures and just how free you can be and how much you should rely on scripture to bring you to truth. And I thought if I, that, I, that whatever needed to be done, I can accomplish it. If I could just try hard enough. If I could just do more, if I could just stay with it. And I subscribe to the words, don't quit. You have to want it more than the other guy. Don't be weak. Get pumped, get stronger, get faster. Do more, work harder. I memorized poems like, success is failure, turn inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. You never know how close you are. You may be near or you may be far, so stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things get tough that you wasn't, mustn't quit. Something happened to me on the way to this fantasy land of sports philosophy where everything that you tried, if you tried hard enough, you could accomplish some of those things. Trying harder was just the norm. Well, this is what happened. My baseball career ended. Soon after that, I married Lisa. It took us seven years, seven years, and we finally got pregnant. Three months later, I was awakened in the middle of the night by Lisa telling me, something's wrong. I don't feel the baby moving. Suddenly, it's reality check for the big athlete, a big, strong boy. Because suddenly, it's not about muscles. What is your can-do? If you think you can do it, you can achieve it. Attitude going to do for you now? Your baby's not moving. See, at that moment, trying harder, it wasn't going to do it. I was not going to be able to change the circumstances by trying harder. So I thought, well, Alex, how about for starters, you comfort your wife? How about you get enough strength to call the doctor? It's bad enough that Lisa was hurting. Then I get on the phone, and I'm such a mess. I remember so clearly. I'm so powerless. I can barely mumble to the doctor what was wrong. He finally says to me, I can't understand a word you're saying. Could you please get Lisa on the phone? So later we head to the hospital, and I'm alongside Lisa. There next to her hospital bed, the doctor confirms it's official that we have lost the baby. He leaves us there, and there begins the wait. The baby still has to be taken. There's a huge lesson to be learned here in that hospital room. I had to go from, how do you survive something like this? How do you survive something like this to trusting God with the circumstances of your pain? We're waiting for the procedure, Lisa and I, and I'm 
I'm doing what I thought to be right. I'm, I'm being strong. I pray and we cry a little and we talk a little and we realize we're really helpless. And so we wait on the Lord and he gives us the scripture from Jeremiah 31, the second half of 13. I will turn their mourning into gladness and I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. See, I know something now because three years later, my daughter Danielle was born. And shortly after that, my son Kyle was born. But that's not what this is about. Because there's no way, for no, uh, no way to know that. What I discovered for that particular moment was this surrender of my control whereas God would take over. And he brought to us Truly that peace that surpasses all understanding. We could not muster up enough energy, muster enough enough, try harder to, to get what we received that day. Now I have not arrived at mastering this thing, but this was sure a major heart opener for me. If there's anything I learned, put your hope in the Lord. Turn there first. Place your trust there. Land there. Abide there. Put your confidence there. If you're weak, if you're feeble, if you're entrapped in sin, if you're searching for an answer, if you're in need of help, a blessing, an anointing, a rescue, hear these words. Those who wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. Those who magnify him, those who hope in the Lord shall have their strength renewed. That brings me to my second point. He shall renew our strength. Once again, the Apostle Paul. Now there's a man who understood what it means to be reliant on God and God's power. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, I am strong. We gain strength when we are surrendered to the dependence on God. There were a couple of gentlemen in our first service here. Both of them face life-threatening health crisis. The doctors have told them, just barring a miracle, barring a miracle that their physical strength would be depleted from them. One of them shared these thoughts with Lisa and I recently. I have lost my strength in me, but I know God is still strong in me. In the face of such a tragic illness, the testimony theirs is one of courage. Every day they're facing uncertainties and diminishing physical strength, but yet their reliance on God remains. It remains to be a strong testimony of God's strength through them. With, the, with regards to the passage of Isaiah in relation to us today, I suggest to you that, strength, that the strength specifically being renewed it has to do with anything that helps to remind us of our need to be dependent on God. That is what gets renewed. Our faith is restored 
and we are given strength to endure and to persevere. He shall renew our strength. See, he shall renew our dependence on him. He shall renew our faith in him. He'll increase our ability to endure and persevere. That's the strength that he promises us through scripture. I see dependence, increased faith, and perseverance as critical to our growth as believers. To finish my second point, good enough that strength is renewed, but there's also this. Second half of verse 31, it promises they shall mount up with wings as eagles. We know eagles, eagles are a symbol of strength, but I'm encouraged by anything that has to do with the possibilities that I don't have to remain in the circumstances that I'm in. And that change and hope could be spurred. I like being a part of that, don't you? Listen to the description I received from my research on just the word mount. It means to enable, to empower, to set in motion the recovery, to spark the renewal. Healing's begun. Strength is coming for the enduring. The beginning of change is happening. Our will is, our will is given to God's will. Our will is given to God's will. This is my favorite one of all. To mount up with eagles means all things upwards towards God. Not part of you, not part of me, not part of our situation, but all things upward unto God. My third point, run and not grow weary. See, I recognize sometimes life is hard and the Bible tells us that in this world we'll have tribulation. But like me, I understand the second coming, the second coming of Jesus. But in ministry, one of the questions I often get answered, what about now? What about my situation now? I'm going through some pretty tough stuff now that I need to deal with. But can you help me with that? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hebrews chapter 4, 9 and 10 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For he who enters God rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. See, trying harder won't do. Only God will do. There's some situations in life that only God will do. When I read the portion of Isaiah, it says, You'll run and not go weary. I define this running often having to do with us just maintaining our disciplines to stay in the race. As often as it's been preached from this pulpit right here, we should never be compromising the principles of Scripture, ever, ever. And sometimes that strength that gets renewed in us is that reminder, get back to the basics of principles Practice them, do them, live them. It'll make a difference in your life. Sometimes situations and circumstances slow us to a walk. I'm referring to that portion of Scripture that says, you shall run and not grow weary, you shall walk and not be faint. There's some life situations that slow us to a walk. Physically, we just get zapped. Emotionally, we get, we get hit. And it seems like it's just enough trouble to get up to face the day. There are moments when living in pain 
It doesn't leave us wanting to dance as David did. Can you relate? Having to witness some of the things that our parents deal with right now in their old age, it's difficult. Growing old is just not that fun. Maybe you're here and you're young today and you're having to deal with adult things. Perhaps a tragedy's put a damper on your dreams. I think sometimes we discover that change isn't always better for everybody, is it? Come to think of it, people don't get married thinking that they're going to have to deal with the pain of divorce. I think, don't think people take pills or they drink thinking that, that maybe that one drink, that one taste, that one thing is going to bring an addiction that's going to send a ripple effect of misery through a whole family. See, loved ones die. The pace of life requires of us not to miss a beat. Doesn't it seem like life just scoots on by and these situations come up and wow, what a whirlwind. Whether staying in, when staying in the race is tough, whether it be a run or a walk, when it seems that we're barely going to make it, the promise is there'll be no fainting. He renew your strength and you'll mount up with wings as eagles. I've discovered something interesting over my 20 years of ministry. If this sounds a little bit like an infomercial for grief recovery class, so be it. Because I think this is a, a necessary, necessary thing. Along the way, I think we forget to take time to grieve. We don't pause. I'm not saying it has to be a friend to you for a lifetime. I'm saying that some things in life, they demand a slower pace or walk, if you will. But here's a promise. All this gets to take place under the covering. You will walk and not be faint. Sometimes life is hard and it requires a totally human response. But Lord, help us if we, could ever, if we should ever get emotional about it. I mean, maybe there's a season when, when, when we have to experience some depression or, or maybe we, we'll have unstoppable tears. A little side note, I have this little rule about crying. And that is, if you cry, get your own tissue. Sometimes in a, I'll do doing, oh, we don't do, I don't do counseling or anything, but I have a chance to sit with couples and they've had, they're having a difficult time. And so they come to my office and they begin to talk and, and, and I'll just use the man for now, but he'll say something mean to his wife and she'll start to cry. And so the first thing he does is he grabs the tissue. He, looks, he nervously looks for the tissue box and he wants to hand her a tissue. I say, put that tissue down. You made her cry. Let her get her own tissue if she needs a tissue. Sometimes crying is good. Sometimes it helps for that, that release. So I was doing a personal study on the, on, the, on the subject of loss and grief and I came a, across a story that I want to share with you in closing. I asked the Lord if I could share this with you and at the same time I asked him if he would give me the strength to be able to share it. 
with you because the first time I read it, I guess I must have needed a good cry. Right? Maybe it just reminded me of my foster son who died at age 16 of cancer after a long, courageous fight. Maybe so. I, I don't know. So I read the story to Lisa, my wife, and she cried. And we cried together. And I'm going to share with you that story right now. But if you do cry, just know, know that it's okay. Okay? But get your own tissue. If you need it, get your own tissue. It's, it's, good, it's good for you. Okay? So here, here goes the story here. Um, and pardon me if I, uh, what do I do with my glasses? I need my glasses to find my glasses. Here goes, here's the story. Here. It's about, by Kay Sauter, Alderfer, that's her last, her last name. And I'm reading from a book titled With Those Who Grieve. I bought this book one day at a library sale at the elementary school. I paid 25 cents for it. It is powerful, powerful stories in there. It's about grief and grieving and the need to just deal with it. Deal with it. I'm going to read from a chapter entitled, Sometimes Life is Hard. This interview took place in 1995 with a nine-year-old boy named Christopher. His best friend was Danny, and Danny died within a year of this interview. These are Christopher's words. My best friend now is James. Last year, my best friend was Danny, and I don't think I'll ever have a friend like Danny. We used to walk to school together and play together after school every day. We'd catch bugs together in the summer and put them in jars. Then we'd let them go. Because Danny said that living things don't belong in jars. And we both liked baseball. And we played on the same team. And I was a pitcher and he was the catcher. And we'd play catch whenever we could. We'd tell each other jokes and stories, but we didn't laugh at each other. Danny got a bad cold and he went to the hospital where the doctors and nurses tried to help him get well. Then one day he got cancer. And he said it was like bad pinches inside and he cried a lot. I didn't laugh because I knew he, he really hurt bad. Sometimes I cried too and my mom got nervous but I told her I just felt sad. He had to get lots of x-rays and take lots of medicine that made his hair fall out and sometimes he would get better and he'd come to school but the bigger kids laughed at him because he was bald like Uncle Frank. They called him names like Gramps. Danny wore a baseball cap but you can tell he didn't have much hair. I talked to my mom and dad about getting my head shaved so Danny wouldn't feel so funny. My mom didn't like the idea. Maybe she thought I would get cancer too. I don't know. My dad took me to the barber shop with him. I got all my hair shaved off. It felt kind of weird at first, but I got used to it. I went to Danny's house with my white socks cap on. I rang the doorbell and I surprised Danny. He started laughing and laughing and it was worth it just to hear him laugh. Some people thought I was making fun of him, but Danny knew that I wasn't. We went to school together. Then the older kids just called us grandma and grandpa. <laughs> and Danny, Danny told me to walk like an old man and we carried sticks and we pretended they were our canes, but later it didn't feel very funny. Mostly I remember some special days with Danny and I remember winning the game by pitching a shutout. He ran from behind home plate and he handed me the ball and the umpires said that we had to return the ball. But Danny talked him into letting me keep it. Another day I remember was the day he told me that he was dying and I told him that he wouldn't. But he said his doctor told him he was dying. 
I got mad at him and I called him a liar. Then I ran home and I cried and I was on my bed crying and the door opened and it was Danny and his mom. And I yelled, get out, get out. And Danny just stood there. I hate you. I yelled at him. I heard inside now when I think that I yelled like that. Danny didn't leave my room. He looked at his mom and I guess she just knew that he had to be alone. I kept yelling, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you for dying. All Danny said was, I know. And he picked up my baseball mitt and he came over to my bed. And we were just quiet for a while. I don't want to die, Danny said. Honest. I felt crummy. Finally, I said, I don't hate you. Danny said, I know. Sometimes life just hurts. He was always saying stuff like that. I mean, stuff like adults say. At the time, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but later when you remember it, you know that it's something important. I remember going with Danny to a Cubs game, and Danny liked the Cubs, and I liked the White Sox. We were always collecting and trading baseball cards. He'd give me his White Sox cards, and I'd give him my Cubs cards, and we went to Wrigley Field. Before the game, we went to see some of the players near the dugout, and Danny asked some of the players to sign his baseball cards, and they did. Then a couple of players signed a ball, too. I think that was the happiest that I ever saw, Danny. After the game, we went home, and Danny was really tired, and I sat next to him while he took a nap. I thought all about all the good times we had, and especially that day. And when he got up, Danny looked sick, and he said to me, I want you to have this. And he handed me the baseball. And I said, no, that's your baseball. And he said I was the best friend ever. And he wanted me to remember him with that baseball. So finally, I took it. And I tried to think of something that he would want of mine, but I couldn't think of anything. Another day is hard to talk about, Danny's eighth birthday. A few guys and Danny and me were at his party, and when they brought the cake and we were singing happy birthday, I looked at Danny. I could tell he heard a lot and was tired, and he looked at the candles a long time. He could barely blow out the candles. I knew it was his last birthday. He turned to me and he asked, want to know what I wish for? I felt sort of sick. No, I told him. Because I always heard that if you tell your wish that it wouldn't come true. He started to tell me and I covered my ears with my hands but I still heard him say he wished that he could live until he was nine. And I just went crazy. I yelled at him, why did you tell me? Now you'll never live another year. And I was yelling and crying. Danny's dad came over and he held me. And I yelled some more and I finally ran home and I cried all night long. Danny died two months later. Sometimes I feel bad that I yelled. And I feel guilty a little. For, for a while, I used to feel like I made him die because he told me this wish. And I, I don't feel that very often anymore because my parents and daddy's, Danny's dad told me that he would have died no matter what. But when I had my ninth birthday, I got really sad again. And I go to a counselor every once in a while. It helps me to talk to her. I remember the day of Danny's funeral. I walked in and saw him in a casket. All I could think about was catching bugs together and how Danny used to let them out of jars. I wanted to help him out of the casket. I wanted him to play and laugh, but I guess I knew he was dead. I cried a little, sometimes I still do. Then I went to his mom and I asked if I could leave something for Danny in the casket. She cried a lot, but said that I could, and I, brought, I bought Danny a Ryan Seinberg rookie card for Christmas. But he died right after Thanksgiving. I'd put it in my pocket before we went to the funeral home. I don't know. I guess I thought it would keep me company. I put it in the casket next to Danny. I thought Danny would know. 
that he was really my best friend if I gave him that. It made me feel good and real sad at the same time. And I don't remember much else that day except for mostly crying and whispering. My mom put her arm around my shoulder and I remember that. It felt nice. I guess that's about all you can do besides cry. Dad asked, Dad asked if I was okay and I cried a little more, but then I nodded my head that I was all right. I remember the time that Danny said, sometimes life hurts. I never told anyone, but sometimes I think dying just hurts too and it hurts everyone. Sometimes life is hard. But the word asks us to put our hope in the Lord. To put our hope there. And he shall renew our strength. And he shall mount up with wings as eagles. You'll mount us up with wings as eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We can walk and not be faint. That's the promise. That's the covering. Can I encourage you to feel, to live, to grieve, to put your dependence on God for anything and everything for his promises are true.